today we are going to be in talking about everyone's most favorite topic in the entire world. Fasting. <laughs> yeah, that's right up there with doing taxes, the book of Leviticus, and uh, going to the dentist, right? For most people, the idea of fasting is foreign and completely for those who are super spiritual, far removed from everyday life, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a foreign concept for many of us, and we don't like to talk about fasting. But the Bible talks a great deal about fasting, and we are in our series entitled um, Upside Down Kingdom. As we are looking to understand what it means to live as citizens of God's kingdom, knowing that he has taken the, this world's kingdom and turned it upside down as he's turned men's hearts right side up on how we are to live, how we are to behave. And we've been looking to see how we are as citizens are to live within this heavenly kingdom. And today we're going to be talking about this subject of fasting. Now, again, Fasting is not a fun subject. Matter of fact, many of us tune out. It doesn't relate, in, it seems, to our normal, everyday experience. But as we're going to see, it, the opposite is true. And I think fasting, in some ways, scares us. I mean, we live in a supersized world. We, we get everything bigger. We want more. We have access all the time. And the idea of Denying ourselves seems a little archaic, like something monks in the desert do. But it's what God calls us to. Matter of fact, we see within our text today, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. It's an expectation for those who are citizens of God's kingdom, for those who are great and those who are small, not those who are just the super spiritual. This is for everybody. It's to open it up for everyone. And today what we're going to do is we're going to go into our text, but what we're going to do is is take a a bit of a flyover, if you will, a huge survey of what fasting is. We're going to get a definition of it. And then we're going to look at some of the various biblical descriptions of why people fasted. And then what we're going to do is to see how we can apply this into our everyday lives. So I would encourage you to to turn in with me, because as we we look into this text, we're going to see that though we live in a supersized world, I'm going to say that we have a very famished faith. Because as we fill ourselves up with all of these things that we consume all the time, our faith begins to dwindle. I want to share some things with you, some quotes that I like to bring to your attention. This is Wesley Duell. He was a missionary for several years of the 20th century, and he said this, You and I have no more right to omit fasting because we feel no special prompting than we have a right to omit prayer, Bible reading, or assembling with God's children for lack of some special emotional prompting. Fasting is just as biblical and normal a part of the spiritual walk of obedience with God as are these others. It's expected. We have no right to admit it and just say it's optional. That it's just like an aside to our lives. But I think the problem that we have is is that it's completely foreign to us because we are so self-indulgent. Now, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., Calvin College, uh, professor at Calvin College, wrote this. Self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude. In self-discipline, usually it's friend and generator. That is why gluttony is a deadly sin. The early desert fathers, and these were guys that lived in, or in and around Turkey, 
uh, that went out because the, become, the world had become so worldly and so corrupt that they went out to seek God in the desert, believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and the thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. It's true. It's true. I can testify for this because for many of us, if we are honest with ourselves, we come to God as consumers. It's not about what we give to God. It's what he gives unto us. Is he going to justify my sin? Is he going to be okay with me? And then if God doesn't like us or our choices, we're like, tough, I'm out of here, God. I'll see you in my rearview mirror. And we have a wrong view of God. See, God has blessed us with so many things. And that's where the danger lies. Is that we can delight more in the gifts than we do the giver. In the creation rather than the creator. And these things, though are good things, can become idolatry. And our appetites become to the point of excess where God is crowded out. And they mask the pains of our soul. That God wants us to fast so that we can do business and see Him. See Him. Now, honestly, fasting can be a little bit dangerous. It can become legalistic. It can become a means of works righteousness, and that's not what God wants. You know, it's interesting. John Piper, a pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, or former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, now is retired, uh, now he's just doing his ministry, Desiring God. He said this about this discipline. This discipline of self-denial is fraught with dangers, perhaps only surpassed by the dangers of indulgence. These also were warned about, Paul saying by the Spirit, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. What masters us has become our God, and Paul warns us about those whose God is their appetite. You know that? Your appetite can be your God. Whatever we most delight in. If we delight in anything more than God himself, then we're guilty of idolatry. John Piper goes on. He says, appetite dictates the direction of their lives. The stomach is sovereign. This has a religious expression and an irreligious one. Religiously, persons turn the grace of our God into licentiousness or or means of of lust and indulgement. And tout the slogan, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Irreligiously, with no pretext of pardoning grace, persons simply yield to the desires for other things that enter in and choke the word. We we read that in the book of Mark chapter 4, that the gospel is compared to seed going forth as the sower goes forth. And some of it goes into that among thorns, and those thorns grow up and choke it. And it symbolizes the cares and the concerns of this world that choke out the gospel, and keep it from taking root and growing and flourishing in our lives. Now, Piper goes on. He says, desires for other things. There's the enemy. And the only weapon that will triumph is a deep hunger, deep hunger for God. I'm not talking about our our our, our stomachs growling. I'm talking about a deep hunger in the depth of our soul that can't be satisfied except by God and Him alone. The weakness of our hunger for God is not because He is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. 
Perhaps, then, the denial of our stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. I have a four-year-old boy, Elijah. Uh, some of you know them. Some of you know about him. Some of you experience him. <laughs> know how else to put it. And this little guy, um, he, he's four. So a four-year-old likes to snack, right? He's always coming to, Daddy, can I have a fruit snack? Daddy, can I have a banana? Daddy, can I have this? And it's usually around 5 o'clock. Well, he does it all the time, but 5 o'clock especially, he's getting hungry. And what happens if we give it to him? What happens when dinner time comes? He sits there and wants to be a conversationalist. And he's not eating. And then everybody gets up from the table, and he wants to get up and play. And we tell him, no, you have to sit there and eat your food. And he starts to, no, I don't, I'm not hungry. It's because you were eating the wrong stuff. You need to eat what's good food. You have to, to eat that which, is, that which has been prepared for you. See, many of us are just like my son. Is that we peace at the things of the world all the time. Technology, entertainment, success, the pleasures of this world, sex, drugs, alcohol, food. Whatever it is, we delight in all these things and we fill ourselves up. And then we walk around like that Rebecca Blue in Willy Wonka, Right? And that we can't take in the things of this world. I mean, we can't take in the things of God because we're so stuffed with the things of this world. And God is saying, no, no, no. Quit eating at the table of the world. Eat at my table, at my delight. See, what is at stake here, as Piper says, is not just the good of our souls, but also the glory of Almighty God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. The fight of faith is a fight to feast on all that God is for us in Christ. What we hunger for most, we worship. What we hunger for most, we worship. And today, we're going to talk about having a hunger for God. Before we go any further, I want to pause and pray and ask for God to speak to us as we get further into our, our message time. Father, help us to hunger for you. Help us to long for you, to thirst for you. Lord, many of us now are a little bit terror-stricken, fearful. Fearful of our idols being taken away. That which we prop ourselves on, that's which we support. But Lord, knock them down. Help them to see truly who you are. And may we cast ourselves entirely on you. And may we not find rest until we find our rest in you. Give us a deep abiding hunger for you and for your glory, and for your presence and your power in our lives. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So the first thing that we need to do is, before we talk about fasting anymore, is we need to employ a proper definition. Employ a proper definition. Now, you can follow along with me in your notes. And I would, first thing I want you to do is just write that down. Employing a proper definition. What is fasting. Now, for most of us, and as the Bible normally describes it, it's, it's refraining from food. It's refraining from food for a definite period of time. But it's not just that. That, it, that principle can be extended to many different things. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a pastor in Great Britain um, back in the day, he said this. He gives a good kind of insight into fasting. Fasting, he says, if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting really uh, 
should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. Or a Norwegian pastor theologian, uh, Dr. O. Hallisby, he said this, Fasting is not confined to abstinence from eating and drinking. It really means voluntary, voluntary abstinence from a, for a time from various necessities of life, such as food, drink, sleep, rest, association with people, and so forth. Fasting in the Christian sense does not involve looking upon the necessities of life, which we have mentioned as unclean or holy. Fasting implies merely that our souls at certain times need to concentrate more strongly on the one thing needful than at other times. And for that reason, we renounce for the time being those things which in themselves may be both permissible and profitable. So we have that in mind, that description, so let's define it this way. Here's the definition you can write down. Fasting is the self-denial of earthly things for a measured period of time to heighten our desire for spiritual things. So let me say that again. Fasting is the self-denial. This is a voluntary thing that we deny ourselves, things that are normally right and good. Okay, You don't talk about fasting from sin. Those things are bad. You shouldn't be doing those things anyway. These things are right and good. So it's the self-denial of earthly things for a measured period of time. Usually, and we're going to talk about this today, it could be for a meal. It could be for 40 days. I had a, a woman at my church in Chicago. She fasted from food for 40 days. And it, and it takes a lot of discipline. We're going to talk about this. Because the idea of four hours is impossible for many of us, much less 40 days. Okay? And we have all these things in our mind. I have, a very, I have a very demanding job. I have this. I have that. That's why we're saying it's not just from food. It's from other things as well. Maybe you are a nursing mother. Fasting is not an option for a nursing mother. You could fast from other things. Mommy blogs or whatever. Okay? Something on that line, maybe from TV, maybe from entertainment, maybe from the internet. We could fast from many things, and it's going to cost us. It's not something that we normally don't do, you know? It's like, for, for some of us, and I know there are some people in this room that hate football. I don't understand them, but they hate football. They're like, I'm going to fast from football. Well, that doesn't cost you anything. You already hate football anyway, okay? So it's something that's going to cost. Some, for some, that might be fa- fasting from March Madness, Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, it might be that. Because it's going to be something that's costly for a measured period of time to heighten our desire for spiritual things so that our desire for spiritual things surpasses every other desire that we have, even the, the basic necessities of eating, sleeping, and drinking. It's to heighten our desire for God. Now, we are to seek God. And again, God expects us to fast. Now, in the scripture, there are different types of fasting. Now, this isn't in your notes. I'm just going to give you kind of this overview. There is the normal fast. Okay, the normal fast is what Jesus did when he was in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 days and 40 nights. When he was out there, he fasted from food. Um, it says that he ate nothing. It doesn't say that he drank nothing. So that is just normally from food. That is a normal fast. The next is the 
partial fast, when you will eliminate certain foods or things from your diet. We see this in the book of Daniel. When Daniel and his friends asked, they didn't want to defile themselves with the king's food, so they didn't eat meat from his table. They only ate fruits and vegetables and wouldn't drink the king's wine, so they only had water. So that's a partial fast, where you might be keeping meat or sweets or chocolate. You see all the ladies like, I hate you. I hate you so bad. Or coffee coffee. Now, there's going to be problems. We're going to talk about that and what it does to your body because you're going to go through pain. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll get headaches. You're going to have withdrawal symptoms, but that's good. That means fasting is doing its job, okay? So, um, there, so that's a partial fast. Then there is a supernatural fast. It's a supernatural fast. Now, this is like Moses. Moses says that he ate or drank nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, physically, we know that we can go without food for several days, for a long period of time, but we can't go without water for more than usually three days, okay? So when we hear that he's on the mountain and he didn't eat or drink anything, that God supernaturally sustained him. We see that with Moses when he's on Mount Sinai. We get a picture slightly of that um, with Elijah when he's uh, running in the strength and food that he had after his victory on Mount Carmel, that he did the same thing. And those are supernatural fasts. Then there were uh, private fasts. And this is what Jesus is talking about in our passage for today. When he's saying, when you go and you be alone, this is a private fast. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't fast with other people. That's a corporate fast. And that happens within Scripture. Then you see a corporate fast is in the book of Joel chapter 2 or in the book of Acts, where the church and the people were fasting together as a body. So we see a private fast and we see a corporate fast. We also see a national fast where the entire nation is asked to fast. And we've actually had that in our own nation's history. Three American presidents have called for national days of prayer and fasting. John Adams, James Madison, so president number two, president number four, and then Abraham Lincoln, number 16. All of them called for national days of humiliating themselves and humbling themselves with prayer and fasting. Fasting. So this is not a foreign concept um, historically in our own nation's history. So we have the national fast that was going on. Then there was a regular fast that God had commanded um, under the Old Testament for many. They were to fast on certain days such as Wednesday and or Friday or certain holidays like Yom Kippur known as the Day of Atonement. And then there was occasional fasts that such a circumstance had come upon the people that they had to fast because if they, they needed God's favor and they needed it quickly. So that's a, a quick overview of many of the different fasts found throughout the Old Testament. Now what I want us to do now is to examine the Bible's various descriptions or reasons why people fasted. Okay, Examining the, the Bible's various descriptions, or you can put reasons in parentheses, of why people fasted. Why do you fast? Is it just to deny myself? Just to, to, to self or humiliate myself? What is it? Do I do it because I want to get God's, uh, I want to be righteous in the sight of God and earn my salvation? No, because the scripture says that we are saved by faith and faith alone. So why then do we fast? What are some reasons? And I'm going to give you a, a quick survey of a various reasons why people fasted in the, um, in the scriptures. First of all, it was to dispel doubt. Dispel doubt. In the book of Judges chapter 20, the nation of Israel had just, um, some of the tribes had been fighting with one another, and they were so broken because God had told them to go on and get victory, and yet they were, they were struggling with defeat, and they were wondering, what, God, what are you doing? 
So they, they fasted and called a fast in Judges chapter 20, verse 26. And God answered them. It was to dispel doubt. Now, is there something in your life that you're doubting right now? Maybe a relationship, maybe a job, maybe a career choice. Consider fasting, that God might confirm it and speak to you about it. Not only to dispel doubt, but to express sorrow for sin. Express sorrow for sin. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 7. When they were confronted with their sin, and the people said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So they, they humbled themselves. They were sorry for their sin. I mean, what do you do when you sin? Do you just write it off? What do you do? I mean, do you take sin seriously? God does. Extremely seriously. So serious that his son died for it. Died to bring us life. And we write it off and not make it a big deal and we laugh about it. God takes sin very seriously. It was also to show repentance was real. To show repentance was real. Jonah, great book of Jonah. Jonah goes and preaches to the people at Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He hated them because they were political enemies. He didn't want to go. That's why he got in the fish and went on for him to go to the other side of the earth. He hated him that bad. He did not want God to show any mercy on him whatsoever. And of course, we know the story. He gets on the boat. The waves come. The sailors figure out that it's Jonah. They throw him overboard. The fish swallows him. He's in the belly of the fish for three days. Then the fish vomits him up on land. He repents while he's in the fish. And then he goes to Nineveh and he preaches uh, this message of repentance and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown the greatest revival sermon in all of history. And it says that hundreds of thousands, like 150,000 or 120,000 people repented. It's a great message. And it says what they did then was they, they humbled themselves with fasting. So showing their repentance was real. But that's not all. That's not the only reason. We see that people fasted in order to get God's solution to difficult circumstances or situations. To get God's solution to difficult situations. Now this is where I'm going to have you turn a little bit with me in your Bibles. If you have a pew Bible, turn to page 412. Page 412. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone, scroll down. Okay? Scroll down to uh, page 412 in your pew Bible, and it's Esther 4.3. And we know that, to give you a bit of a backstory, um, wicked... Haman had it out for the Jewish people, and he came up with a, a vicious pogrom to destroy the Jews in a one vast assault of mass genocide to destroy the Jewish people. And an edict was ordered, and when the Jewish people heard about it, they humbled themselves in Esther chapter 4, verse 3. And it says, In every province, whether the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. They were humbling themselves. They were putting on sackcloth and ashes, which was a sign of deep, deep repentance. They would sometimes throw dirt in the air to show that they were in, in just disarray. They were completely sorrowful. They, the, these dark goat hair kind of uh, sackcloth, like a burlap sack that they would wear around, and ashes, and, and throwing them in the air, showing just sorrow that their souls were broken, and they were going to be destroyed and so the people humbled themselves. Then in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, which is on page 413, if you flip over in your pew Bible, Esther, who's the queen, she's also a Jew, unbeknownst to Haman, 
and she's terrified because her people are going to be exterminated. She says, go to her relative Mordecai. Um, he has a, he's a leader among the people. And she says, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. They're fasting. Matter of fact, you see this going on right now. Um, some of you know that I work with Russians and Ukrainians, and I am friends with many of them on Facebook, and they're calling for national fasts in Ukraine to stop the crisis in Crimea. And the, the churches are humbling themselves. They are seeking God's face and awakening to the reality of who God is and asking him to intercede. And it's recognizing God's sovereignty over their lives. Now, what difficult situation you're fa- are you facing right now? And I I'm, I'm not saying it's on the lines of those things, but still, it's difficult for you. What do you need clarity on? What do you need God's intervention on? Maybe it's a health report. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's a career choice. What is it? Humble yourself with fasting and ask for God's intercession in that moment. People also fasted for God's protection, to procure God's Protection. Now, this is on page 395 of your Pew Bible. This is in Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. Now, uh, remember, the Jewish people had been in captivity in Babylon for approximately 70 years. And the people are beginning to be released. And they have to make the long trek from Babylon to Israel. And they're worried because they're not a They haven't been a fighting force. They're, They're walking through these foreign lands where there's marauders, there's foreign armies. There's all of these threats all around them. And so what they did was is they, they fasted asking for God's protection. We see this in Ezra uh, 8, 21 through 23. And Ezra writes, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king with a band of, for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and employed our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. See, the purpose of fasting, it's a humbling mechanism in order that we might come face to face with the reality of our own humanity and God's sovereignty and his provision. They needed a safe journey, and they knew that they couldn't do it themselves. Fasting cast the self and soul entirely upon God. But perhaps the greatest single chapter on fasting is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, which is page 617 in your pew Bible, if you have one. I want you to turn with me to that, because this is a pretty extensive passage. Isaiah, chapter 58. And this, this, more than any other passage, talks about the importance of fasting. Isaiah says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to to draw near to God. And they say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And God hears the indictment. And it's chilling. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure 
and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed? And to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. So why did God want them to fast? To help the hurting. To help the hurting. That's what God's about. Remember what's the first and greatest commandment. To love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, and that's to do what? To love our neighbor as ourselves. To take care of other people. So often we have talked about this. We're all about walking humbly before God, but when it helps other people, we're like, no, I just me and God. God's saying, no, have your heart broken for others. Does our heart break for those who are lost? For those that are destitute? For those that need, that are hungry, that have found themselves in situations because of their own choices? But are we willing to come alongside and help and even fast and humble ourselves on their behalf? I mean, many of us, it's not even in our wheelhouse. We can't even comprehend it because we have a hard time fasting for ourselves, much less other people. And that's what God is calling us to, to blow wide open the doors of our spiritual life. God wants all of us, not just a part of it. So we are to, to fast to help the hurting. We're also to fast in order to consecrate leaders to meet the charge they are given. To consecrate the leaders to meet the charge they are given. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When the, the people, the church is fasting and God says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry that I have. And they lay their hands on them and they fast for them. Do you fast for your leaders? There's a huge burden that the leaders carry for shepherding souls. One of the things that we treasure here at VBC is discipleship. We are a discipleship church, period. Which means that we don't want you just showing up on, on Sunday morning. We want to get involved in your life, come alongside you to help you take your next step with Jesus. Wherever that is, whatever that step may be. We're not just a church you walk in and you could be anonymous. I mean, maybe for a little while and you walk out and you do your good day. No, we're going to get involved and engaged in your life. And we're going to press in, 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 a, in a loving way to help forsake sin, to push you on to righteousness sake. We're going to put you on to your next step, whatever that is. For some people, that might be to baptism. That might be leaving a sin behind. That may be church membership. That may be growing and reading the Bible or witnessing or praying or fasting. We're going to come alongside. We're going to invest in your life. And we want, that's what we, our, our hope and our prayer is. And that's where we see that happening in small groups. We want to see everyone in our church involved in a small group so that they can, they can share and be pushed and grow. 
We're not going to let you rest and be content in your sin. We're not. That's not what we're about. We're about helping people take their next step, whatever that next step is. Maybe it's receiving Christ. It could be anything. We want to help you take your next step. And these leaders carry this burden of shepherding. That's why Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. We need leaders. We need to pray for our leaders. Because they do carry a burden. A great one. So we need to pray for them to fulfill the duty and task that they have been entrusted to do. So we also fast to put to death our sinful desires. To put to death our sinful desires. Paul says, I buffet my body and make it my slave. I beat my body. I won't be mastered by anything. And see, when we we put to death those appetites, then we can say no to sin easier. Because, see, we feel like sin controls us. And for many of us, it might be because we don't know who Jesus is yet. See, when we come to know Jesus, when you come to know the Son, the Son sets you free, is what the Scripture says. But for many of us, we continually enter into that slavery to sin. You know, the Bible says that we were slaves to sin. When we trusted Christ, he broke the chains of that sin, that we don't have to do it any longer. But see, many of us, we have our sinful nature that's still there, and then we refuse to put it to death. Fasting helps us to put to death our sinful nature because it shows that that our body is under the lordship of Christ, even our physical appetites. So it helps to put to death our sinful desires. But that's not all. It helps to purify our prayers. Purify our prayers. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's page 955. 955 if you have a pew Bible. And Paul is talking, and he says this. He's speaking to a married couple, and he says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is when they're, they're, they're fasting from sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy. And it's so that they could devote themselves more to prayer. Now, some people are like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> You're saying a sex fast? Yes, I am. That's a natural desire that we have that is to be fulfilled within the covenant of marriage. But yet, even that must be subjected to Christ to show that He is ruler and He is reign. And and I'm not saying we all do this perfectly. I'm saying it's a process for each one of us as we grow and understand what this means. But see, Christ wants all of our life. All of our life. Every single part of it. He wants us to thirst for Him more than other things. Lastly, we fast simply to find God's favor. Find God's favor. We fast to get more of God, to delight further in Him, to increase our joy in God. And you know what happens when we fast? Is a lot of the things that we've been using food or that other thing that we were doing uh, to cover over our pains comes out. Fasting is not an easy thing to do. It's messy. Um, and I know when I fasted in my family, I remember talking with my wife, and she's like, you know, when you fast, you got to talk with me about this. Because when you fast, you can make me miserable. <laughs> because all of this stuff that comes out, and, I, and I'm trying to temper that when I, when I do enter into that, because it is hard, because you do. I mean, think about it. When you've had a really tough day, what do you do when you go home? Just turn on the TV. I deserve this. I just need to veg for a bit. Or maybe you come home and you go, hmm, 
There's some Ben and Jerry's. I'm just going to go into the freezer. I deserve this. See, we, we're masking. I'm not saying those are things that are in and wrong of themselves. What I'm saying is that fasting shows forth that I'm going to take this to God, and it's uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. Try fasting from those things. So we might find God's favor and get more of God's presence and power in our lives. Now, fasting can be dangerous, though. And if we're to do it properly, then it requires escaping its dangers. How can fasting be dangerous? This is where I want us to really look at our text for today. Um, in verse 16, and when you fast, do not gloomy like the hypocrites. Remember, these are actors. Hypocrites is the, the word also for actors in Greek. For they disfigure their faces, faces that their fasting may be seen by others. See, this is a dangerous fast. This is not a fast that's pleasing in the sight of God. They're doing it for the sake of other people. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. This is, don't make yourself miserable, but... Continue on. Don't try to draw attention to yourself that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, how do we get or dispel those dangers of fasting? Well, first of all, it requires us having the right attitude. We have to have the right attitude. It all comes back to the heart, why you're doing it. Okay? And this, this let, me, let me put this as an adjoinder, a little attachment to this. If you are a person, and this is usually for the ladies, if you struggle, struggle with anorexia or bulimia, you should not be fasting. Let me say that very clearly. Because I have a friend of mine, a classmate, when I was in college, who would mask her bulimia and her anorexia under the guise of fasting. Don't do it. If you know that is your den of disobedience, then you shouldn't do it. Fast from something else besides food. Okay? So just letting that be known. It's about the attitude of the heart. Where's your heart at? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it just to feel more spiritual? Or are you doing it to really draw near closer to God? Why do you want to do it? So it's about the attitude. See, they were the hypocrites disfigured themselves. They had the wrong attitude. They were trying to do it for other people. Which leads me to the next part of that. We must make sure that we have the right aspiration. The aspiration. Not to be seen by other people but to seen by God himself. What are your reasons for it? So not just having the right attitude of why you go about it, but the reason for doing it. And then thirdly, we must make sure that we have the right audience in mind. Audience, who are you fasting for? See, that's why Jesus says, go away, go into the secret place, and do it before your Father who is in secret, that God himself will see it, no one else. That you're living before the audience of one. And it's to him that you're doing this. Not so you can tell other people how spiritual you are so they can come and pat them on the back, pat you on the back, but it's to show that you desire God more than anything else. So who's your audience that you have in mind? Now, fasting is a spiritual discipline, which means this is by a means by which we train ourselves to be more godly. And I, I hope, my hope is that we can be enjoying it as a spiritual discipline. Enjoying it as a spiritual discipline. I'm going to give some practical things here in just a moment. Um, I want us to understand that it's, about, it's not about deprivation, but it's about delight. It's not about deprivation, but delight. That we may not feast at the table of this world, but we might feast our faith on God and in Him alone. Not about deprivation, but delight. Secondly, it's about placing us in a position of reward. Placing us in 